0: Part Four Propositions One to Five of the Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part Four Propositions One to Five. Propositions. Proposition 1. No positive quality, possessed by a false idea, is removed by the presence of what is true in virtue of its being true. Proof. Falsity consists solely in the privation of knowledge which inadequate ideas involve. Part 2. Proposition 35 nor have they any positive quality on account of which they are called false. Part two, proposition thirty three. Contrarywise, in so far as they are referred to God, they are true. Part two, proposition thirty two. Wherefore, if the positive quality possessed by a false idea were removed by the presence of what is true, in virtue of its being true, a true idea would then be removed by itself which Part 3, Proposition 4, is absurd. Therefore, no positive quality possessed by a false idea is removed by the presence of what is true in virtue of its being true. Quad erat demonstrandum. Note, this proposition is more clearly understood from Part 2, Proposition 16, Corollary 2, for imagination is an idea which indicates rather... present disposition of the human body than the nature of the external body, not indeed distinctly, but confusedly, whence it comes to pass that the mind is said to err. For instance, when we look at the sun, we conceive that it is distant from us, about two hundred feet. In this judgment we err. So long as we are in ignorance of its true distance, when its true distance is known, the error is removed, but not the imagination or in other words, the idea of the sun, which only explains the nature of that luminary in so far as the body is affected thereby, wherefore, though we know the real distance, we shall still nevertheless imagine the sun to be near us. For, as we said in Part 2, Proposition 35, note, we do not imagine the sun to be so near us because we are ignorant of its true distance, but because the mind conceives the magnitude of the sun to the extent that the body is affected thereby. Thus, when the rays of the sun falling on the surface of water are reflected into our eyes, we imagine the sun as if it were in the water, though we are aware of its real position, and similarly other imaginations, wherein the mind is deceived, whether they indicate the natural disposition of the body, or that its power of activity is increased or diminished, are not contrary to the truth, and do not vanish at its presence. It happens, indeed, that when we mistakenly fear an evil, the fear vanishes when we hear the true tidings. But the contrary also happens, namely that we fear an evil which will certainly come, and our fear vanishes when we hear false tidings. Thus, imaginations do not vanish at the presence of the truth, in virtue of its being true, but because other imaginations, stronger than the first, supervene and exclude the present existence. Of that which we imagined, as I have shown in part two, proposition seventeen. Proposition two. We are only passive in so far as we are a part of nature, which cannot be conceived by itself without other parts. Proof. We are said to be passive when something arises in us whereof we are only a partial cause. Part three, definition two. That is, Part 3, Definition 1: Something which cannot be deduced solely from the laws of our nature. We are passive, therefore, in so far as we are a part of nature, which cannot be conceived by itself without other parts. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 3. The force whereby a man persists in existing is limited, and is infinitely surpassed by the power of external causes. Proof. This is evident from the axiom of this part. For when man is given, there is something else. Say A, more powerful. When A is given, there is something else. Say B, more powerful than A. And so on to infinity. Thus the power of man is limited by the power of some other thing, and is infinitely surpassed by the power of external causes. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 4. It is impossible that man should not be a part of nature, or that he should be capable of undergoing no changes, save such as can be understood through his nature only as their adequate cause. PROOF. The power whereby each particular thing, and consequently man, preserves his being, is the power of God, or of nature. PART 1. PROPOSITION 24. Corollary. Not in so far as it is infinite, but in so far as it can be explained by the actual human essence. Part 3, Proposition 7. Thus, the power of man, in so far as it is explained through his own actual essence, is a part of the infinite power of God, or nature. In other words, of the essence thereof. Part 1, Proposition 34. This was our first point. Again, If it were possible that man should undergo no changes, save such as can be understood solely through the nature of man, it would follow that he would not be able to die, but would always necessarily exist. This would be the necessary consequence of a cause whose power was either finite or infinite, namely, either of man's power only inasmuch as he would be capable of removing from himself all changes which could spring from external causes, or— of the infinite power of nature, whereby all individual things would be so ordered that man should be incapable of undergoing any changes save such as tended towards his own preservation. But the first alternative is absurd, by the last proposition, the proof of which is universal, and can be applied to all individual things. Therefore, if it be possible that man should not be capable of undergoing any changes save such as can be explained solely through his own nature, and consequently that he must always as we have shown necessarily exist such a result must follow from the infinite power of god and consequently part 1 proposition 16 from the necessity of the divine nature in so far as it is regarded as affected by the idea of any given man the whole order of nature as conceived under the attributes of extension and thought must be deducible it would therefore follow part 1 proposition 21 that man is infinite, which by the first part of this proof is absurd. It is therefore impossible that man should not undergo any changes, save those whereof he is the adequate cause. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary. Hence it follows that man is necessarily always a prey to his passions, that he follows and obeys the general order of nature, and that he accommodates himself thereto as much as the nature of things demands. Proposition 5. The power and increase of every passion and its persistence in existing are not defined by the power whereby we ourselves endeavour to persist in existing, but by the power of an external cause compared with our own. Proof. The essence of a passion cannot be explained through our essence alone. Part 3. Definitions 1 and 2. That is, Part 3, Proposition 7. The power of a passion cannot be defined by the power, whereby we ourselves endeavour to persist in existing, but, as is shown in Part 2, Proposition 16, must necessarily be defined by the power of an external cause compared with our own. Quod erat demonstrandum. End of Part 4. Propositions 1 to 5. Recording by O.K.